welcome to the Redbeard Outdoors podcast. This is Jonathan, your host, and here at Redbeard Outdoors, we talk about the three things, faith and family, fitness and the outdoors, and I welcome you back to anyone that is continuously listening. I really appreciate it, and to anyone that's new, uh, welcome. Uh, thank you for choosing me to listen and to join me in my journey. Uh, today, I've got a special treat for you guys. It's Jess with Follow Her Arrow. Um, I loved this conversation. It was awesome speaking with Jess about her journey, uh, why she's so into the outdoors, and uh, how that is applicable to her daily life. She's made a career out of it. Uh, she absolutely loves backpacking, hunting, being outside, camping, doing all the things that, that you can imagine uh, an outdoorsman would love to do. So before we get into that conversation with Jess, I just wanted to bring up these amazing companies that I work with. Again, I'm not trying to sell you anything, guys. I want you to understand that if you're in the market for these particular items, I just want you to save some money and to, uh, you know, I appreciate that you trust my feedback and the companies that I've tested out and used and have chosen to work with uh, are some great companies. So if you're looking for uh, supplements of any kind, whether it be protein, uh, multivitamin, fish oil, those are kind of my staples, uh, a good greens formula, I would definitely point you in the direction of first form. If you use the link down below, you can get free shipping on all your orders. Uh, but basically, first form is an American made company, American manufactured, and they just do an awesome job with the quality of their products. I haven't found any other supplement brand out there that is anywhere near the quality. But on top of that, their customer service is outstanding. So go give them a shot if you're needing some a multivitamin, fish oil, some protein powder, uh, go check them out. Also, Absolute Aid is a company that I work with, and they are a CBD company that doesn't have any THC. Uh, it's simply a chewable that I use personally. I, I prefer their, their uh, recover formula that is great for days that you maybe have trained really hard the day before. You're feeling a little extra sore that day. Uh, it just helps to ease off uh, the pain that you may be feeling from the soreness and uh, from the hard work that you've done in the gym or on the mountain, wherever it may be. So go go check out absoluteaid.com for your CBD chewables. And then also alpenfuel.com. Alpenfuel makes the most amazing backcountry granola that you'll ever have. So you should definitely go check them out. My favorite is the white chocolate cranberry with a close second being the chocolate strawberry or the apple caramel so definitely go check them out they're great cold water hot water uh, go give them a, a taste before you get out in the back country for backpacking or eventually hunting in the fall uh, they also sell meals from other companies that i really enjoy their food as well uh, being gluten-free due to issues that i have to deal with uh, i've found very few companies that don't tear up my gut when we're in the back country but Heather's Choice makes great meals. If you're looking for something other than granola, uh, definitely go check out Heather's Choice. That's on alpenfuel.com. You can save 10%, use my code, order Heather's Choice, or also Peak Refuel. They've got a couple of gluten-free options, but they also have some other amazing meals. From what I've been told, uh, they are just fantastic. Uh, if they're anywhere near the quality of their gluten-free meals, which I imagine they are, then you should definitely go check them out as well. Uh, other than that, guys... All my other companies and links that I use are, are down below. Go check them out. Uh, I definitely appreciate you supporting the podcast and sharing this with others. 
And uh, without further ado, let's get you listening to this conversation with, between me and Jess. Awesome. Well, I've got Jessica Byers here. And uh, I've met Jessica a couple years back. Or I guess it was last year at Elk Shape Camp. And uh, she works with Hunt and Fool. Um, she's been hunting her whole life pretty much and has had some amazing experiences. And uh, well, I'll just let Jessica tell us a little bit more about who she is. Jessica, you want to give us a little rundown as to who you are? Sure. Um, th- first of all, thanks for having me on. Um, it was really good connecting with you last year. And I love seeing the things that you're doing in your personal life and professional starting a podcast. And um, I mean, it's it's cool to watch you grow. So um, thanks for having me on. Uh, quick background. I'm, I'm a Texas, Texas born and raised. I'm from central Texas. And, um, my dad got me started in the outdoors. He used to, he's taken me pretty much everywhere from, you know, he had, we had a lease growing up in Texas. And so I went deer hunting with them, turkey hunting, hog hunting, anything you can hunt in Texas. There's quite a few things you can hunt, thankfully. And, um, kind of just, he just waited for me to say I was ready. He didn't push it on me. I, I've always admire, you know, now that I'm older, I can really look back and, and, and truly be grateful and admire the way he approached it. Whereas I think that some parents can be a little bit more aggressive <laughs> with how they introduce their kids. Cause they really want it. They want them, them to be addicted, you know, but he was, he just kept exposing me to it, teaching me. He, you know, he took every opportunity to teach me, um, about what we saw or, you know, why we did things the way we did. And, so it wasn't until like eighth grade, I think, end of eighth grade that I decided, I'm like, dad, I think I want to shoot a deer. And I just remember how excited he got. <laughs> and uh, anyway, went through the whole thing, hunter safety, target practice, how you handle a gun, the whole nine yards. And I got hooked. It's really cool. Um, he, he likes to say that he planted the seed for what would become a big part of my life. Um, I think the outdoors has a really really neat way of doing that you know even even in, when I was in college I was focused on school and working and I didn't hunt very much I couldn't I didn't have the time I had other <laughs> priorities you know I was having fun with friends and college football and the whole nine yards I so I, I went away from it for a little bit um a couple years three four years and then but I always came back to it and now yeah this is you know what I what I get to do full-time in a way you know I do have an office job I work at hunting full but Thankfully, we have a lot of time off and had some pretty incredible experiences before now. And even being here now, there's a lot of opportunity that comes through here. Um, it's it's really cool what's out there. There's a lot of adventure to be had by the most green, you know, beginner hunters to those that are well seasoned and they feel like they've experienced it all. And then next thing you know, they're opening up a new chapter. So yeah, it's the gift of the outdoors. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And I, I love that. I'm going to key in on something there that you mentioned that you weren't forced, like your, your dad didn't just throw a rifle in your hands and say, go sit in the stand with me for hours and be cold or, you know, things like that. Like he, he, he planted the seeds uh, and let you made the decision. Right. Um, yeah. it, it wasn't something that, that they made you do. You know, it was something that you got to choose. And I, I think that's a big thing. One, you know, as kids, you're going to fight everything that your your authority figures, whether it be your parents or grandparents, ask you to do anyway. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, but seeing seeing them in their their example, like that was that was a big deal for you. And I, I love that 
Cause um, I think there's a lot of people that get frustrated with their kids and wanting to pass this on to their kids, something that they love and enjoy, but they almost force it and force them away from it um, because it's not something that the kids want at that time. And so or, or they don't have a great experience too. Yeah. like I've watched a lot, just freeze their butt off or they get bored because they're not seeing anything. And, you know, you really have to figure out how to navigate that with kids and keep them entertained. And when they say they're done, be done, like let them leave, let them choose how much they want to be out there make sure they're having fun or you will ruin it. I've seen a lot of parents do it. I've seen, I mean, they're just diehard hunters and they can't figure out why their kids don't love it. But you know, like it's all in how it's introduced. And if, if it's a kid or a woman, you better make sure they're comfortable, like gear, like keep them warm, keep them entertained. Keep um, them you know, huh? <laughs> food, keep them full. Yes. <laughs> Lots of food. Yes. Um, I mean, there's a, some pretty easy ways to ruin a hunt quickly for any new hunter, but I think little boys probably just naturally just it's the way they're built, right? They just, they love it a lot quicker. Um, but even then they can get tired of it too. You know, it just depends on what kind of kid you are. Yeah. I was going to say my son has, um, I mean, I, I hate seeing, I feel like it's overdiagnosed, but he definitely has ADHD and he's a high like there's some people that can hyper-focus um, because they're low energy ADHD. This kid is like bouncing off the walls if you don't have him occupied every 15 seconds. And so um, I, I agree with what you're saying as far as like, for me, when I take my kids out, I don't plan on feeling attacked. Like I'm not going to take them on my limited entry hunts or things yeah. like that, that really mean big deal to me until they're able to, you know, withstand those things. Like with Asher um, this, this last year, uh, you know, the turkeys weren't where they needed to be, but I got them on the binoculars, how to identify them, uh, how to see deer. And we got within 10 yards of a deer. It wasn't deer season. And so the deer know that, you know, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and so they we have a little, right, exactly. Yeah, I swear there's pheromones on these tags they send out to us. Um, but the deer, like they got within 10, 15 yards of us. And, uh, we had the whole conversation of like, it's not deer season, wasn't that a cool experience though? You got to see them. It was like five or six does and a little buck that was with them. And it's, it's awesome. But yeah, you have to go into it with that mindset for sure of, you know, you don't want to push them and you don't want to cause your frustration of not feeling a tag on them either, because that's not going to make them want to come back out with you. Right. But uh, definitely, definitely the, the warmth, the food and the entertainment, those are three major things, especially with kids. Um, so Tell me a little bit more about, you know, growing up with uh, being in the outdoors with your family. Um, what were some of your favorite things that you used to do? Oh, man. Um, so hog hunting is huge in Texas. And obviously you can go out with night vision. Um, but even then we would go out with like spotlights and go rabbit hunting. And I mean, I we have we had one of those old like um Jeep Wrangler is just like a manual one with a high rack on it. And they would, this is so not safe, but they would let me sit on the hood while we drive around on, on back road spotlighting and shoot, shoot rabbits from the hood of the Jeep. And, um, just, I mean, blaring country music and like, I, you know, the campfires, the, the, the good cooking, the being away from cell service. Um, I mean, of course I remember my first kill, it was just me and my dad. And that was, you know, super special. 
but it's all those other things that are really cool that back then I couldn't, I, I didn't know the gift that I had, you know, like I still get like so sentimental about it. Um, I mean, even when I, even when I got older, not necessarily when I was like a kid, I, I remember, um, I hope it's okay to say this on your podcast. My sisters and I had this tradition where it's because it was a four and a half hour drive to the middle of nowhere to get to this particular lease that we had. And, um, you know, the song red dirt road and they say it's where I drank my first beer. (laughs) So I would like, we would hit the dirt road and that was our tradition, hit the dirt road on the way to the gate and drink a beer. And like, it just reminded me of freedom. It reminded me of like when I grew into my confidence, um, when I learned how to drive a stick shift, you know, when I learned about wildlife and it's just, there's so many things that encompass why that was special to me. Um, But the memories of my dad are, you know, pretty far up there as well. But I had a lot of freedom, you know, he'd let me take out four wheelers by myself in middle school, you know, this is not when I got older. Um, Like I said, he taught me how to drive a stick shift when I was, I think 14 or 15. Um, He let me start hunting by myself. um, Shortly after I'd shot a few animals, like, he really allowed me to grow into um, a young lady, you know, and then and then a woman, you know, whenever I got older, I still, we still had that property. Obviously I wasn't drinking beer in middle school <laughs> for the listeners, <laughs> uh, but I just, I don't know. I, it's all those things, you know, At South Texas sunsets are unreal. You know, the, the landscape is everything's brushy and pokes you. You don't have, you know, super tall terrain. So the, the sky is unreal. Um, we'd go rattlesnake hunting. We'd like, you name it. And we did it. Um, yeah, I learned, I started, he used to quail hunt down there. We, it's like, I had a, a lot of first, you know, first experiences down there. And I, I, again, I did not know once we lost that property, I didn't know. I, I, I couldn't at the time, I think I took it for granted. And then we lost it. And I realized this is why my dad was so upset when we lost that property, you know, cause we didn't own it. We were leasing it. It was a 10 year contract. And um, I just, I don't know. I feel like I, I've found out a lot about myself in those years and to do it with my dad next to me was pretty cool. So, That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. That, that is pretty sweet. Sounds like you had an awesome childhood growing up out there in Texas and, uh, I mentioned this before we started recording, but yeah, I've never been to Texas and that's kind of what you, at least what I picture, um, you know, everything that you were just describing when I think Texas. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited to head down there at the beginning of April and, and check it out and see, I, I tried to tried to convince my wife that we should move down to Texas for a month uh, in April, just so I could hang out. And yeah. <laughs> she didn't like that idea too much, but, <laughs> um, but that's awesome. That So it sounds like, I mean, you grew up pretty much in the outdoors. Like you, that's pretty much all you did as a kid from what, no, I mean, from what I'm, no, no, but I was exposed to it a lot. Um, so okay. we lived in well, more city. than most children, I guess. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because it was a passion of my dad. So, um, before my parents split up, I, they split up when I was about six years old. And when we, when they were together, we had a, we had a house that at the time was out in the country. Um, and like my dad would bird hunt in our backyard, you know, backed up into, you know, fields, uh, you know, farmland. 
So we kind of cross the street, backyard, down the neighbor's house. Like you could go a while before you saw one of our neighbors at one time. And now, now it's weird to go back because it's an entire fully developed neighborhood um, that's just in, in town. Like what was once the country is no longer. <laughs> um, so he, he was hunting like in, this is gonna, like, I'm really exposing my dad right now, but we had this, he was such a redneck. We had, he caught a, a pregnant wild pig and had it in our backyard, like as a dog run and raised it. Well, she, he didn't know it was pregnant and it had piglets. And so he was like literally raising wild pigs in our backyard. And like, I remember going out and feeding that with them. And then the mom got pissed that I was next to all the babies and she bit, she ripped the pocket out of my jeans. Like she attacked me. You've heard about pigs like attacking. People, oh yeah. Particularly mm-hmm. when there's um, babies around, but um, yeah. And then like, he loves, he loved fishing. So he had this in our, in our, what was supposed to be a hot tub. That was not a hot tub. He had this big, I think it was a bass. I don't remember if it was a bass or a catfish, but he literally just, when he felt like wetting a line, he would go in our hot tub, catch this fish over and over again. Like that's literally what I remember in my childhood. So yes, maybe I wasn't out hunting on a property all the time, but I was exposed to it. And then they split. Um, so he, what he invested in a lease, he always had some type of lease. Um, and then we'd go out there on the weekends when we could, you know, and I actually have more fishing memories of my dad than hunting. Like when I, in my really young childhood, because we grew up around a lot of lakes in central Texas. So I was born and raised in temple. We lived in Belton for a little bit, but you have several lakes, great fishing lakes around there. And we always had a boat and jet skis and things like that. So, I mean, I can remember memories, just the two of us on a boat and like all of our fishing poles would just freaking lay over and we, I'd be squealing and helping them reel in. And, you know, so yes, I think I was exposed to it more than the average person, but there was still a lot of other pieces to our life because he was raising three daughters on his own. So, um, or as a single dad, he, I had, he had a woman in his life. It is now my stepmom, but, um, yeah, we didn't, we lived in an apartment for a really, really long time because that's what he needed to, to, he needed a low maintenance place to, you know, run his business and be able to fund, you know, these, you know, weekend adventures. So yeah. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. I didn't grow up on property. He does have property now. My little sister is living a dream. Um, not to be, not to sound ungrateful for my life. Cause I do have a <laughs> great life, but she is truly growing up like in the country outside of town, hundreds of acres has an entire farm. They live off the land. They can hunt all over. And that's where we moved from. We, when we took our, this job at hunting full, um, we were living on that property on the other end, like couldn't see my dad or anything, but we lived close by. We lived in a fifth wheel there for 15 months before moving here. And I mean, you could step up, step off our back, step out of our trailer and be shooting your bow out to 80 yards. Just every single day I did that. And then I'd go hog hunting at night or go fishing with him. And so that's all my sister's ever known. She's, she's nine now. It's all she's ever known. So she's going to be a hell of a hunter. I'm, I'm certain. I mean, she can pick up tracks and pretty cool that's awesome that sounds pretty sweet now um you just to kind of touch on fishing i don't touch a lot on fishing just because i'm not really that 
good at it. Um, I grew up doing, uh, uh, going for bass. That was probably my favorite fish to, to go after top water bass fishing. Um, what was, what was your, your favorite fish growing up? And I guess now, um, well, you know, my memories, the memories of my dad were going bass fishing. That's what he, that's what I remember doing with him. Um, let me preface this by saying I'm not a good angler. Like I, <laughs> I've caught plenty of fish, but it, unlike hunting, I, I have to have my hand held. I need to learn. I don't know what, you know, lure to put on or anything like that. I think I know the most about crappie fishing, depending on who's listening. I might say crappy fishing, but we say crappie yeah. in the South. Um, when I met my husband, he had, he, you know, he was living the bachelor life for a while, making good money and he bought himself a boat. So when I met him, he had this amazing crappie boat and, you know, super lightweight. We could take it up in the shallows and freaking you hit the right pocket and they would nail it. Um, but that was, that probably still is my, hmm, I don't know. Trout fishing since I moved up here has been pretty fun because it's a whole new world. And then you add fly fishing to that. I learned that yep. this past year. That's just the most beautiful, just it's a work of art, but I don't know. I have a lot more experience crappie fishing and it's holds a lot of memories with, you know, me and my husband, we have a lot of awesome, just like staying out through the night on the boat, just with spotlights and catching crappie. And it's a totally different kind of fishing. You know, you go from bass fishing to crappie fishing. I ripped a lot of lips cause it's like paper thin, you know, and I could not get that out of my head, mm. for, you know? So he's taught me, he taught me a lot um, about that. And then we'd go, you know, we'd go spider rigging through the, you know, the channels and catch a ton. We'd get like eight poles out there and just, you know, um, work, work that. And sometimes they'd all be going off and getting tangled, but I'd say crappie fishing, but I think trout, I think fly fishing specifically for trout is going to quickly become top of the line for me it's just because it's new. And I chase first time, just new, fresh experiences. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't done any like cold weather trout fishing, but, um, uh, yeah, I, about two years ago was the first time I ever dabbled in fly fishing and I don't have anything technical or, you know, I picked up a handful of flies and, and one yeah. of the cheapo, uh, rods, you know, and I was out there on the lake while we were canoeing and uh, kayaking and stuff. And I just kind of waited out to my waist and, um, the first one I caught, it was only, you know, it was like this big, right. It wasn't yeah. that big, but, but it was cool. It was similar to that bass fishing where you get to see the whole interaction, the top water kind of fishing. And, um, but also I feel like fly fishing is a lot like the bow hunting of, or I guess the archery of hunting, right. Where there's a lot more technicality behind it. You're constantly moving. Um, you know, there's more, I guess, artistic, I don't know how you would describe it, but you just, it, it, it's more engaging to me than just throwing a bobber out and waiting for something to bite a bite a hook, you know. That's um, how I feel about what I'd never been ice fishing, but people go like they love ice fishing. And I'm like, yeah. dude, I don't know. I don't know if that's for me. Because I went once and I just I I was like, yeah, maybe like I could see tents set up and heaters and like cool if you got all the gear and you you make a day of it and or camp out on the lake, whatever your thing is. I could see that being fun, but like drilling holes and then i guess probably too we had our kids with us so <laughs> watching them and they were bored out of their minds because nothing was biting and like i could see where if you find a good hot spot like that would be fun but drilling holes constantly just because your kids are like okay we're bored with this one let's go over here 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was like, yeah, I don't know about this. <laughs> I don't know about that either. I mean, I will say before I tried fly fishing, I really love so Brexton's my in-laws, Brexton's family's um part of his family's from North Carolina. Mm. And so he they introduced me into like like literally just wading through the river for miles on a spinner and just catch hmm. a hell out of trout and that is so much fun yeah well you can't but, really fly fish out there because you get tangled up in the trees yeah well depends on where you go there hmm. there are a ton of fly fishermen um that we would pass and we'd always make jokes like oh have fun catching one every hour while we're <laughs> you know <laughs> ripping lips but um yeah it's a lot more it's a lot more fast paced but once i learned you know introductory level fly fishing I, I would like to go back to certain stretches where I know I could, could, you know, fly fish there. Cause it's beautiful. North Carolina is so beautiful. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. I, I love growing up there and I was almost, I was on the verge of moving back, um, probably six years ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, just cause I, you know, it's so dry out here. It, it's, uh, until I got out in the mountains, like I just felt, I was like, I'm getting depressed. Like, there's nothing natural out here. It's all buildings and concrete. And, um, but once I got out in the mountains, it's a whole different story and it, it hooked me, kept me here. So, um, but anyway, that, that's awesome. It, it sounds like you, I mean, yeah, you had other aspects of your life, obviously, but you were exposed to a lot of the outdoors growing up. And, um, I, I think that's amazing. I think that's missing in a lot of people's lives. Um, I know there's science behind it and everything like that. I don't have any studies to pull out, but people are just happier when you unplug. And there was something I read recently where even if you're outside, but you're on your phone, you don't get the same benefit as when you put your phone down and just go for a 30 minute walk. Or I always say to to people like, don't be the parent that's at the park sitting on their phone on the bench. Like go be a kid and go monkey bars and run around and chase your kids and and play tag and, and all this stuff, because there's just something about it. Like it's one of those intangibles that you can't really put a statistic on. Um, but you just feel different and and you had that same experience and you still have those experiences. You just drew an awesome tag. Um, remind me what, what you're going for. Alaska mountain goat. There you go. Yeah, That's but awesome. the way you described the what you just described. So I, I mean, obviously, elk hunting is like my favorite thing ever, archery elk hunting. But I, I definitely remember the hunts. Um, the hunts where I was completely disconnected and didn't have service are way more memorable than any hunt where I, you know, could go to the top of the mountain and get service and check in. Um, particularly this last year, and when I was in New Mexico, the first time I talked to my my bosses again when I got to service, they were like you know, how's it going? And I had not like been on a phone or talked to anybody for like, uh, I think it was 12, 13 days or something. And I'm like, I feel really disconnected. Like, and, and what I meant by with, with them is typically I don't really, I love my job. There's not a day that I've come in here where I felt like I was going to work. Not one single day, been here for two and a half years. And it's hard for me to let go of it because I love it so much. It doesn't feel like work. So for me to go away and not have contact with my bosses to know what's going on and keep me plugged in, it was really hard to come back to. And they're like, well, that's the point of why we do it. And I was like, thank, so thankful that I have, you know, a, 
an environment that understands it, you know, whereas, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people have jobs and they can get off to go hunt. Maybe they get off to go hunt a lot more than the average person. But if, if you don't have a, a community that understands why that it's not just a want, but it's actually a need that it's therapeutic and it's great for your mental health and it's good to disconnect, truly disconnect. And it's one of the only ways you can disconnect. Like, in today's world, it seems like everywhere you go, you can tap in somewhere. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think that's super important. And I, I still love that I have hunts I can go on where I, I do have service. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to feel like I'm abandoning my team. You know, we, we have, we have a very fast paced, uh, life inside the office and outside. And so I like, I like those kind of hunts in between, but yes, the Alaska mountain goat, um, and right before that, that butts up to it. It's like a literally, I think there's a two day break in between. I'm going caribou hunting too. So I'll be in Alaska nice. for, I think three weeks. I haven't done Might as well while you're up there. Right. Might as well go for the caribou as well. Well, I already had that plan. That's what's so crazy. Oh, that was, that's a that's DIY awesome. like drop camp situation. I already had that plan. So I leave the 20 August 23rd and I don't get back until September 10th or 12th or something. So I don't know. I haven't done, I don't know how many days that is, but, um, there's only a two day break in between those where I'll have some service to check in and then I go back out again, but otherwise, no. Yeah. It's, it's a disconnect a hundred percent. I have a satellite phone and I don't plan to use that very much. So, yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah. It's, uh, and I'm reading the book right now called the comfort crisis. I don't know if you've ever heard of that book. I've heard um, of it. I haven't read it, but it's, it is on my list. I, I, I've got to read it. Everybody just keeps recommending it. Yeah. It's a pretty recent book. I didn't realize how new it was because uh, he brings up the pandemic and COVID and everything in the book. So I'm like, oh, wow. oh he must've wrote this within the last two years. Um, but yeah, he talks about his experience going up to Alaska and how we don't have enough opportunities to feel hungry, literally hungry or bored. Um, you know, there's always something, you know, and he said it didn't hit him until it was a stretch of time that it was only like 10 minutes but he didn't have his phone and he was like literally reading tags on his backpack. Cause he was, <laughs> cause he was so bored. He was like, I don't know what to do with this. Like people don't think about that, you know, but it, it's definitely uh it, it's eye opening. It's crazy to get out in the woods. And um, I hate the squirrels sometimes, but when the squirrels are quiet and you actually get some quiet, <laughs> it's nice to sit there and just like, be in your own mind and be present in what's going around you, you know, um, hearing the, the, the breeze and feeling the thermal switch and just being in tune with nature after a couple of days of being out there and not having any cell service. Um, it, it's a whole nother experience that I, I would recommend to anybody, uh, no matter what level of, of fitness or uh, hunter you're at, you know, if you don't even have to go hunting, go backpacking and just get out there for a little bit. But yeah, it's, it, it's a whole nother, it's a whole nother thing. It, it's one of those intangibles you can't put words on. Yeah. That sounds like a really good book. I've, I, like I said, I, I didn't know it was that new either. So I'm even more interested now because it's, it's current and it's even more relevant. But um, one thing that, that you said that made me think of another time in my life, not too long ago was you said it makes you be with your, with yourself, like in your own mind and in, when it's that quiet <clears throat> and you notice small things, um, about the outdoors, you, you hear things that you sometimes can't slow down long enough to appreciate. 
And it reminded me um, over the past, I don't know, year or so. Um, so I'm a big advocate for therapy, by the way, whether or not you have issues or not. Like, I just think therapy is so healthy. So I'm typically active in some, some kind of therapy or growth of some kind. And I have really bad anxiety. Like I can get super anxious and I think really far ahead or at times I can live in the past and think about what I could, could have done different. What I, you know, it's a perfectionist mentality. And, um, one of the things they told me was to think about what you, the things that you can control and, and to ask yourself, um, well, there's two, there are two parts to it. One is to ask yourself, what time frame are you in? Um, to just truly ask yourself, are you, are you in the present? Are you in the future? Or are you in the past? And then one of the ways that you kind of stay in tune with that is to say, is to start, start the one of the ways you, you tap into the present. If you're not sure, or you're not really sure, like how to get back to it is to think about your senses. You're, you know, what can I smell? What can I hear? What can I touch? What can I, you know, what do I feel like I just, and what do I see right now in this moment? And I feel like the outdoors is really good at like kind of keeping that in at the forefront where you just, you kind of, everything else melts away um, and it's therapeutic, but it's easy to stay in tune with the present when you're outdoors, where it's a lot harder in the busy life that every day when I'm here and then my anxiety gets really, really bad. Um, so yeah, they said that they said, you know, ask yourself what time, um, time frame you're in. And then ask yourself if you, if it's something that you can control, because if you can't control it, then there's no need to worry. And if it's something that's in the future, or it's in the past, then there's no need to worry. And, um, I don't know. I just think it's interesting that the outdoors, I never feel that way. Like before we started recording, um, we were talking about like bears and mountain lions and stuff, because people have, you know, honest, you know, realistic and very common fears of predators when they're out in the middle of nowhere. And I just, uh, I just don't even, I don't even know where I, where I was going with that, but I don't even think about that when I'm out there. Like, I don't even have those fears that the anxiety that I feel every day in everyday life goes away, even knowing that there's predators all around me, you know, you see, you don't, you may not see them, but they're there. <laughs> so yeah. it's just interesting that the outdoors can do that for you. Yeah. It's, uh, it's one of those, it's one of those medicines that just, you can't get enough of. Right. And obviously like you can't, I mean, you can live out there, but you know, modern society, modern, modern times, you, you have to work, you have to, you know, come back to, to reality, but having those times to go out and recharge is, I mean, it's a whole nother, it's a whole nother thing. Um, I love being able to go out and camp with my family even that, that we don't have self-service, you know, I've got my phone on me to take pictures and that's it. Um, and even then, like there's times where I don't take the pictures cause I don't want to break my phone out, you know, cause I'm just enjoying the moment. And, um, it sucks later. Cause you're like, man, I wish I had taken that picture, but at the same time you have that memory. And, and it's funny because I, I was listening to someone or maybe I was watching a video of someone that was out and it, it had just like freshly rained on this elk hunt and I could literally smell like I had like those senses, like what you're saying, tapping into your senses while you're out there. <laughs> they kind of washed over me as kind of dumb because it was a video, but at the same time, like I remember a 
a day where we were going out and it just hailed and rained and then the smell of it afterwards and and the feel of you know how the the air was moist and and just all of that stuff just um just came washing back over me you know because i was present in that moment and then i went back to you know watching a video or whatever and i could remember every single sense that i had uh in in that moment and there's a lot of times where we don't have that in in modern day like when i got covid i didn't know i had covid right and um i can't remember who someone close to me said they tested positive whatever so i went and i was like okay well cool um i was like i don't remember the last time i tasted something because you generally get in the routine of you eat the same thing every day you, you know your mind just kind of tells you this is what it tastes like right and i went and put a, a spoonful of hot sauce in my mouth and i uh, couldn't taste it nothing and i was like oh well, great. <laughs> but like, it just reminded me that like you go through kind of on autopilot in your life, you do the same things generally every day, you eat the same things generally every day, you're not even thinking about what it tastes like. Yeah, you know, and it just uh, being outdoors is just a whole nother, it, it, it allows you to tap in. Um, but, you know, something that I've noticed as well. And you were saying control what you can control. Um, that that's another big thing, you know, our, our lifespan is going up in, in modern with modern medicine, everything. Right. But something else in that book um, that he brings up is that health span is going down. And if you think about that and I, I'd kind of, you know, you think about it, but you don't really think about it until someone says something about it and controlling what you can control with your fitness, with your health, Obviously, there's things that are out of your control, but what are you doing on a daily basis to control your nutrition, to control your your health? Um, because, yeah, you can be strapped up to a machine until you're 90, 95, but are you really healthy and enjoying life? Right. You know, and so what I, I wanted to kind of segue into you. You enjoy CrossFit style workouts. Um, you meal prep. Uh, what are some things that you found that work for you? in preparation for like, you're going on an Alaska goat hunt. That's intense. Like that's, that's pretty intense. So what do you do to control what you can control in your nutrition and your fitness? What's something that you enjoy doing? Well, <clears throat> I will say that it's a lot easier to stay on track and, um, say consistent in your goals when you have something as cool as a mountain goat hunt to prepare for. <laughs> uh, usually, <laughs> usually archery elk is that for me. It still is. Um, but I feel like I've had to truly like crank it up a notch, you know, it's like, okay, you like, I can't just take a week off from shooting my bow. I can't just skip the gym for a little bit or, you know, spend, two weeks binge eating, whatever I want, you know, and I love food. I don't necessarily have the healthiest relationship with food. Um, I've always been super slender. You know, both my parents are very slender. I've gotten away with eating whatever I want and still, you know, not to deal with weight issues, but what I do struggle with really bad is, uh, inflammation. Like, and my mom, my mom has colitis. Um, my dad's had some, like, I think he has some like gut issues and all that stems from inflammation. Like I'm fully aware but getting over the mental, you know, like, well, it just tastes so freaking good. I love everything. I, there's not, honestly, the thing I don't, that I don't like, and I still eat them is like raw carrots. Like I can't stand raw carrots, but I still eat them because they're healthy. So I think 
the tip that I would give anybody is to learn. Um, I, I always thought it was weird when people would read uh, labels on foods and stuff, but I think a lot of people look at labels and they are looking for the good stuff or what is the calories or what is the protein and fat. And like, that's all good, but mm, like, maybe you should look at the ingredients and see if you know what every single ingredient is. Um, because in terms of inflammation, like I have to look at, um, at oils and, and gums and just weird things that I never looked at before. Um, you know, sugar is the obvious one, but people always preach like, Oh, sugar's bad. Sugar's this sugar's that, but not, we're talking like there's different levels of that. Right. Or we're talking about like processed sugars. We're not talking about like, if you eat a ton of berries, you're going to wind up in the hospital, you know? So I think like having some realistic boundaries through knowledge, because knowledge is power, or I should say what you do with knowledge is power because you can learn anything that you want, but if you're not applying, it doesn't matter. But I had to, I had to dive into like, what is this ingredient? What does it do to me? Is that going to help me on this goal? Is that why I feel this way? And start connecting connecting those things where for so long I've just been like, Oh, ignorance is bliss and I'm skinny and I'm fine. And well, just cause you're skinny doesn't mean you're healthy. And I had to learn that the hard way. Um, I have a lot of gut issues. I have a lot of inflammation issues. My knees and ankles and hips can start hurting really, really bad. If I'm eating bad. Um, I like burgers and pizzas and milkshakes, just like the next person, like I'm human, but, and it's okay to have those things sometimes. Um, I don't, think I've, I, you know, I don't think that it's realistic to be like, I, it's an all or nothing thing. I, I, I didn't have that mentality about, you know, pieces of my life and it's not healthy. And so I think you look at like what's sustainable and just be in tune with it. When you go back to like the present and how you feel, when you eat something, think about how it made you feel. Do you feel good? Do you feel energized? Do you feel sluggish? Do you want to take a nap? Do you feel bloated? Like and so then I start asking, I start having those conversations when I pick out certain foods and I'm really focusing on foods right now because I've never really had a problem working out. I think I, you know, I do it more for my sanity than anything. Um, the physical stuff is just a plus side of that. Um, <clears throat> but the food is what I continue to struggle with. Um, it's, it's a battle. I get better all the time, right? Like I'm nowhere near where I was two years ago. I'm in a lot better place, but I think that's what I would tell people is like food can be medicine and food can be poison. So you get to choose that is something that you can control. Um, I don't believe that we, that we live in a world where it's possible to just be completely toxic free or, you know, not have any toxins in anything that we eat. I think, you know, we live in a chemical processed world and you have to be realistic if you do travel a lot and go to events and things like that, but there's, you can always be better. Um, so that's kind of a long-winded way, you know, but it's all about, it's all, it is all about preparation. I don't like to cook. He said, he said, I meal prep, if I didn't have my husband to help me meal prep, I don't know what I would do. Like he is a saint. He meal preps. He's so, he has such a regimen. It's, it's actually beautiful. Um, whereas I'd rather just spend a little extra money. Again, it's a, it's a trade-off, right? I'd rather spend a little extra money in, uh, subscribe to, uh, a, what do you call it? Like a food, yeah, just like a meal prep site. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I've tried several of them. Um, right now I've been using trifecta. I'm going to try, I can't think of what it's called right now. I just looked it up a couple nights ago. I like to try new ones though. Switch it up because I get bored easily too. Cause I love food, all food. Um, so I think like, you know, making sure they're not getting bored. And if that means you spend a little extra money, cause to me, time is precious. The same reason why I'd rather just pay someone, you know, 40 bucks every three or four weeks to, you know, come in and do a deep clean on my house. I don't want to spend hours cleaning my house. I have better things to do. That's not everybody. I feel the same thing, same way about food at times with a busy lifestyle supplement where I can make good decisions, but it's better than eating out where you don't know what oils they're using. And, and I think I'm focusing on oils because I cannot believe the things that we consume every day by eating out, whether even when it's like, when you think it's the healthiest thing, like freaking seeds and fruit and dried fruit and things that you buy at the store that are labeled so beautifully organic, this like, you know, just it's insane how much canola oil and seed oils mm -hmm. and disgusting, like, you know, you're basically just like asking for inflammation throughout your body. And again, if that's not your, if that's not your problem, that's not what you struggle with. You're awesome. Great. But that's my reality. And that's what I had to get really real about this past year. And, um, it's, that's how I stay focused is like trying to gain more, you know, absorb as much information as I can follow people who break down those ingredient lists and what they mean. And, you know, there's, there's several pages on social media that I follow just to learn and spend my time. Like if I'm going to be on social media, at least I'm learning something valuable about the things I don't want to consume. I, I feel I'm way, I'm way more um, impacted by the way something can negatively affect me than by how something can positively affect me. And I think it's because we live in a world that's like, by the next this and this, you'll be healthier this, you'll lose this much in X. No, like tell me where I'm going to be if I don't do that. And then, so it depends on your personality. I do better right, when someone yeah. tells me you're literally going to hit rock bottom and you're never going to get a mountain goat if you eat like that. It <laughs> <laughs> so, drives you a little bit more, right? <laughs> how's that for an answer? I just went on a whole like, ah, like side rabbit trail. No, I, I agree with you. It's it, again, it goes back to what you can control and what you can't control. You know, you can control what you consume. Um, and I think a lot of people just going back to that whole, and I, and I'm loving this phrase that I, you know, that I read in this book about, you know, lifespans going up, but health spans going down. Like, I don't want to live into my nineties if I'm going to be a vegetable or if I'm going to be hooked to an, you know, oxygen machine or, you know, like I want to be in my nineties, I running my great grandkids up on the mountain. Like, that's what I want to do. And so, you know, you've got a goal in mind. And right now your immediate goal is this, these two hunts in Alaska, obviously elk hunting is wrapped up in there. That's an every year thing, but you want to be at your best. And so you found something that you could improve on your weak point, um, your chink in your armor, however you want to phrase that. And, and you're, you're going after it. And, and that's something that again, you can control. You can't control the weather in Alaska in August, right? But you can control what gear you bring, how your body is functioning, what food you bring on that, you know, all the stuff, if your bow is, is, is doped and, and dialed in, um, if your shoulder's good, which I'm interested in hearing a little bit about that as well, um, with your shoulder injury, but, uh, you know, if, if you're, you've taken everything out, all the variables that you can take out 
in whatever your goal is, you control those things. And then if something else comes, you're just like, yeah, okay. You know, it is what it is. I'm prepared. If I don't punch, like for me this last year, I didn't punch my hook tag, but I didn't feel bad because I took all the time that I could. I had e-scouted, probably not as good as Mark Livesey, but <laughs> but I had done a lot more than I thought I could. And uh, I had multiple experiences and I just didn't punch my tag. And I was fine with that. I was like, you know what? No regrets. I did everything I could. I didn't walk out of there feeling frustrated and saying, man, what if I had done this or that? Like I learned. And so um, I feel like you're, you're approaching it the same way, you know, with your control. And I love that you said that, you know, fitness isn't something that you, as far as working out is concerned, that's something that is natural for you. And I feel the same way. Um, for me, it's, you know, it's like my cup of coffee in the morning. I need a good workout. It's just something that I have to do. I know a lot of people out there don't feel that way and that's their struggle. Whereas nutrition isn't. And so, um, you know, talk, talk to us a little bit. You're coming back from an injury, a shoulder injury where you just recently switched over right this last year to a left-handed bow. Wasn't it this last year? No, it was back in, um, gosh, I want to say I switched to being a left-handed archer, like. I think 28. Oh, so it's been a couple of years. Maybe okay. 2017. Hard to remember, honestly. I think no, I think it's 20, I think it's 2018 or 2019. Yeah. Three or four years. Something like that. Yeah, because uh, your dominant eye is your left eye, right? Even though you're right-handed. <clears throat> Correct. Yeah. So um my husband, when I met him, um, so my dad got me in the outdoors. I met and then I met Braxton in 2012. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we've been together almost 10 years. So um met him in 2012. And then like six months later, he put a bow in my hand. And so I'm I'm right-handed. He surprised me with it for my birthday. He tricked me and didn't do doing this whole like like literally got my draw length and everything by tricking me. It was really funny. But um <laughs> so surprised me with a bow. I got addicted, but I just shot right-handed. And quite honestly, that's what felt natural. Even at like my summer camps when I was younger and they have, you know, the little like trad bows, I'd always shoot right-handed. Most kids would. Um, then I got into where I wanted, uh, I went to go to get certified in um, the NASP, uh, National Archery and Schools Program. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be an instructor and like uh, float around to different schools around Texas and shoot with the kids. I never did that, but that was my intention. Um, life happened and I went a different direction, but I did go to the school and get certified. And on the very first day, they were like, let's figure out your eye dominance. I'm like, what? This, this is weird. Cause they're teaching us how to teach kids. If you're, if you're a, um, if, if you have a class of kids at, right. at your school and yeah. your school puts the program in. So, um, thought it was really strange. Found out immediately in the first, literally like the first 20 minutes of this whole course that I was left eye dominant. And at this point it was like in the spring, I think. And I was like, I'm not switching before the fall. And I don't know if I'll ever switch. Like I've, I'm a good shot. I'm successful. I'm like, why do I need to switch? Like I mess up, but so does everybody else. Like I justified it in my head. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. There's gonna be a lot of people that may hear this and, um, they're in the same boat. I'm not telling you that you need to switch. I want to encourage you to try it. But, um, anyway, the next year after talking to a handful of people in the industry that are, um, very successful, very accomplished archers and, swear by shooting with your dominant eye i was like all right we're doing this um again all or nothing kind of girl so i broke my right-handed bow down and went all the way or i got like a i asked my local bow shop if i could just 
get a really low poundage left-handed bow and just borrow it like a used bow and then bring it back. Cause they, they would, um, teach lessons with it, I think, or something. So I did that. I could, couldn't even pull like 35 pounds back. And <laughs> I mean, I was truly starting over. Cause at the time I think I was shooting 58 pounds right-handed and I was just like, it's really discouraging, you know, but, um, I wanted to put everything into it. And so I did after a couple months, it felt so natural. Um, I still screwed up a lot in the field my first year. I don't even know if I got anything my first year. Oh, I think I shot a grouse when I was elk hunting. I think that was my first animal. That was the first animal I ever killed left-handed. Anyway, fast forward. That's all I've been hunting with since then. I never went back right-handed. Then season 2021, last fall, um, literally a week before the season opener, I'm fixing to go meet my dad down in New Mexico. He's got a bull tag. I have a bull tag of a wall tent camp. Like it's what we do. And I had a really heavy chest day at the gym, got home and I didn't have a cool down. I went straight from the gym. It was the heaviest I'd ever lifted. I literally like my, my chest muscles were smoked. I went straight to the office. Cause I was like, I need to, sh- I need to get reps in again, like leading up to a hunt I'm shooting every day. And I went to draw back and I felt a pop in my shoulder, like back behind, almost, almost like it's like, it was like a mix of where the collarbone meets. And then also throughout like my scapula is weird. It's awful. Um, then I tried it again and it was just like, I could barely pick up my arm. So that was cool. I called my dad and I was like, well, I can't draw my bow back. And he's like, what are you talking about? Like <laughs> openers next week. And um, and then I, I don't even know. I was like, you know, I didn't want to give up the the tag. I didn't want to, I didn't know what to do. Um, and so, and then it occurred to me like, well, I did shoot right-handed for five years, but I haven't touched my right-handed bow in, you know, several years since I had switched. So I, I pulled one out. I only had, again, I've given at this point, I've given away all my right-handed bows to this day. I only have one and it's the first bow I ever owned that my husband got me. I swore I'd never get rid of it. Um, so same strings that it had on it 10 years ago, maxed out at 50 pounds, right-handed boat had dirt dauber nests on it. Like it was a disaster. <laughs> like it'd been in storage and stuff. It was yeah. not good. Um, dusted it off, pulled it back. I sighted it in, in wall tent camp. Like when I got there, cause I couldn't do it before then. I mean, I, I just was pulling it back, but I just, I could not get it as dialed as I want. I got like a rough, rough, you know, close to it, but not perfect. And then I got to camp and dialed it in. And by God's grace, I happened to shoot a bull on my fourth day. But, um, you know, it doesn't always happen like that. I definitely did not think that that was going to happen. Um, but it just shows you muscle memory, right? Like I said, I was never a bad shot right-handed. Yeah. I just wasn't at my peak and my shooting left-handed, I am at my peak. Like it is the best. However, after working with Joel, <clears throat> Joel Turner at Elk Shape in Utah recently, um, one of the reasons I always say I'm better left-handed is because I would punch the hell out of the trigger right-handed. I've always been aware that I'm a trigger puncher right-handed. I just would get close enough and make it work. That's exactly what I did this past fall. Got to 30 yards, snuck in on a bull waited for my opportunity took like an hour for him to give me opportunity and 30 yards and I drilled him had that shot been double that 
like I've done left-handed a couple of times, no freaking way. I don't think I could have hit it, honest to God. And I knew where my weak point was, but I didn't think I needed to retrain it because again, I restarted left-handed. I corrected all the mistakes that I knew I had right-handed and that I'd learned over the years. And I'm very confident left-handed. So um, here we are. Um, I just pulled my left-handed bow back after, what would that be? September, October, November, December, January, February, roughly, roughly six months. I have not pulled, I've not drawn back left-handed. I just drew back a few days ago, like less than a week ago. Um, but I had to turn it down three turns. I mean, I'm, I'm starting small and it's, it's, it's discouraging, but I'll get there. <laughs> so now I'm in this, like I'm training both sides leading up to the season and I'm just going to do what I got to do. <clears throat> awesome. Yeah. And that's, you know, a lot of people would have given up and not gone on that hunt or, uh, you know, given up the tag or whatever. I think it's awesome that you, you still had the opportunity to go, um, you, you took again, controlling what you could control and, and you took it, you know, took it in your own hands and, and, uh, and did the right-handed bow. So, um, I'm glad your shoulders better, you know, Thank it's, you. uh, getting, getting fatigued in the gym and then going and shooting is sometimes it's good training. Sometimes not depending on, <laughs> I mean, on scenario. I would do it on just like a everyday wad, mm. you know, if you're just, uh, like, it's just the fact that I did it after a strength portion right. like that was dumb. But again, I didn't know that I played soccer for 10 years. All I did, ever did was run. I didn't know anything right. about weights until I started CrossFit a year ago, pretty much. So, um, you got to give yourself grace. If you don't know what you don't know. And sometimes you got to fall on your face to learn that. And I just learned like, Hey, I need to cool down after I have a really heavy lift or any kind of lift or workout you need to cool down. And B, I don't need to go shoot my bow right after that, when, especially when it's, it's pulling against the muscles I need to yeah. use to pull my bow. Like it's literally, it's not like a heavy squat day. And then I yeah. go shoot my bow. It's a little bit different. Yeah. Upper body <laughs> intensive. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, yeah, I got you, but I'm, yeah, I'm glad you're back. And it, it, are you taking your bow for um, your Alaska hunts? For caribou, not, okay. not mountain goat. And I was going to say not, those, there's like a whole, there's mountain goat hunters. And then there's mountain goat bow hunters. And I'm like, I don't know how y'all like that. The chance of getting that alone with a rifle is slim to none. You add the bow in there. Uh, yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know how people do that. <laughs> yeah. The guy that's, so you have to go, you have to go guided in Alaska. And luckily both of my bosses, well, one of them is, in a, is, a, is a guide. One of them's about to be a guide. He's almost done with his hours. So, um, uh, he's so one of them is taking me. Um, they're actually both supposed to be on the hunt. One of them drew the tag with me. The other one is supposed to guide. However, the one that drew the tag with me might draw. He has a he has like a twenty five percent chance of drawing a desert sheep tag. Did I say that right? It's a sheep tag here in Utah. That's all I know. I'm not a sheep mm -hmm. hunter. I don't get. I don't go nuts about sheep. I just don't. Yeah. I sorry if I offend anybody by saying that, but. He just said, if I draw a sheep tag, like I'm out, I'm bailing on your hunt. And he was going to bow hunt. I was going to rifle hunt. He was going to bow hunt. But if he doesn't go, because he was going to let me shoot first with a rifle and then go bow hunting. If he doesn't go, there's a very, very, very small, but there, I'm going to say there's a little inkling, <laughs> like a little tiny chance I'll take my bow on the goat hunt. But I think after chasing caribou with a bow, I'm going to be like, give me the gun. Like, just get, you know, 
no shame. Yeah, there's some hunts like I yeah, I can't imagine doing that with a bow. But if you do, awesome. Either way, it's an awesome hunt. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with with a rifle. Um, you know that. And yeah. so uh, <laughs> but but that that's that's cool. So you you've you know you you've come back from that injury, and then now I, I just kind of want to hear just a little bit kind of to, to wrap things up. I want you, I know this is a huge deep dark rabbit hole we could go down and probably talk about for hours, but um what would you like to know as I guess if you if you were a woman listening to this podcast, I know it's difficult. Um one, women are definitely a minority in, in the hunting industry and uh, in the hunting world. Um what would you want women out there to know about whether it be backpacking, hunting, just getting outside in general, um if you were in their shoes, what, what would you want to hear or what would you want them to know? Cause I know there's a lot and I can only imagine, but yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think the first thing that, that a woman needs to hear is that you are just as capable as every male out there, even the best of hunters. Um, I didn't always believe that again, I think it's something that you learned through, through being successful in the outdoors and you, you grow that kind of confidence, but, um, something that I heard for years before I had started, you know, writing about my own adventures, um, and started my brand before I worked at Huntful was I'd run into women who just, I could just feel like they just like radiating doubt <laughs> at the thought of going hunting in general, but especially bow hunting. And so, um, I think, that's the first thing that women need to hear is that you are, you are capable. And if you don't have a, a male or even a female in your life, but I think females probably do a better job. Like, yeah, girl, you can do it. If you have a male in your life that will like take you under his wing and teach you the way that my dad and my husband did, you, you just need to hear that. You need to hear that from somebody um, that you are just as capable as every male. And and not to offend any men out there, but it is, it is basically proven <laughs> across shooting sports that women are a better shot. Um, because there's typically not a, there's not an ego involved. Um, it's just like, what can I learn? What can I absorb? So you have that going for you, <laughs> uh, just right off the bat. Um, not that you can't get cocky. I've certainly gotten cocky before and I, you know, I had to learn the hard way, but, um, but you're capable. Um, and, but also know that you're going to fail. Um, and you don't hear a lot of men talk about that, <laughs> like be prepared to fail and be, be prepared to fail over and over and over again. And you're not going to get it. There's no such thing as like being a perfect hunter, or professional hunter, or anything's like, I hate those terms. Like you're, you are always going to be learning and you're going to screw up over and over and over again. And if you've never, if you've never, um, been unsuccessful in a hunt, then you haven't hunted long enough. Like whether that means you've, you know, didn't see an animal or you missed an animal or you wounded an animal. I mean, people don't like to talk about that, but that is the reality of hunting, especially bow hunting. So due to women typically being more emotional, or just more emotions on their sleeve. Like what, I'm not saying like if you cry or don't cry or anything like that, I'm just saying like you're typically impacted by mistakes 
or what happens to the animal on the other end of that more so than a man. And you just have to know that you're going to screw up. Yes, there's a life on the other end of that, but you're going to screw up. And it's, I hate that it's not talked about enough, but I think women really, really need to know that so that they're not surprised when, whether you've been successful for five years in a row, like you're going to have some downtime and it, it, it sucks. It's awful, but it's okay. And it happens. And, um, just not everybody talks about it. So I don't know. I think those, I think it's like being comfortable with failure. Like it's like a really weird piece of advice, but, um, it's, it's helped me just remind me that I'm human and then I'm, I'm not going to be perfect all the time. Um, gosh, I think also that it's okay to do things differently than men. Um, if, you know, I love learning from women, like I've, I've been fortunate enough to learn from a few women, like for shotgun and pistol and things like that, that men, men didn't necessarily teach me. Um, but maybe I've been exposed to it, but not tried it, but to learn from a woman is really interesting because we think differently. We speak differently. We're in tune with things that men typically aren't like we are made differently for a reason. And it's a beautiful thing. And men are better at things than women. It's not just like, I, I don't mean to sound that way. Um, but just to know that it's okay to be different. It took me a long time to feel that way hunting with my own husband or even my dad, like they hunt very differently than me and they're both successful. Like there's a lot of ways to do things. Sometimes me and Braxton literally like are at each other's throat. I'm like, it's just not how I do it, dude. Like, that's just not how, I, but you know, I, it's not something I would have spoke up about until I'd had enough time in the field to develop confidence and knowledge around why I'm doing it that way. Um, but it's okay. Uh, you just, you don't have to do everything identical to the male in your life that maybe it introduces you. Um, I know it's intimidating and I don't really know how that gets. I don't know how you get more comfortable with that until you just drill it in your mind that everybody around you has screwed up or they're going to screw up, you know, like that's, the, it's like the world we live in, but especially with hunting, it's, uh, I can't say that enough. Yeah. You definitely see a lot of highlight reels, especially on social media. And that's why, um, there's a, a handful of people that I'm particularly drawn to <clears throat> on social media because they don't just show the kill shot or it only took us, you know, five minutes to find this bull or buck or whatever it is that you're going after. It's, um, you can't compare yourself, your life to someone else's highlight reel, which is the majority of social media. Not, a, not everyone, but the majority is just a highlight reel. And so the reason why I am interested in hearing that aspect and what you have to say about that, because I've got daughters, <clears throat> my oldest daughter isn't too interested in hunting um, but my youngest is, and probably because she's seen me going out and hunting and she's helped me clean turkeys and, and things like that, that I bring home. Um, I think just cause she wants the feathers, but you know, <laughs> you can make jewelry with her, <laughs> right? Oh man. My wife would kill me. <laughs> um, but yeah, so she, she's, I'm slowly introducing her, you know, to, to things like that, going out and spotting animals. And, um, but it's funny because like, you know, my son will say, Hey, you know, why don't you go after that deer? And then my daughter's like, but that's a mommy, you know, like you hear the differences in, in the two of them, even though they're both interested in, in hunting with me. 
And so um, hopefully I can be a good influence and, and can take her under my wing like your dad did for you. Uh, but definitely there's a lot of women out there that maybe are interested in getting into it. And, um, and I, I, you've got a good group of, of ladies that you hang out with and hunt with and, and speak with on a regular basis. It seems like you guys have that good foundation um, and that good relationship together uh, to where you do at least, at least one hunt a year together. Right. From what I understand. And um, if, if there is a woman out there that's listening or multiple or whoever um, that feels like maybe they're unsure, um, are you open? I mean, from what I understand you are, but you're open to having them talk to you, reach out to you and get advice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of course. Of course. And where can they find you at? Um, any, basically just search, follow her arrow on any platform uh, or follow her arrow.com. I've written, like I said, before I worked at hunting full, that's what I did full time. And I used to write a lot more. I don't write as much as I would like to, but I try to put lots of tips and tricks and I don't like to go too far down the whole, the whole, the gear rabbit hole, but I know that women are built differently. I think it's really important to have things that fit you and are, you know, functional, make sense for us. Um, I talk about my failures a lot in my writing, uh, my doubts, my insecurities. Um, it's just, it's hard. It's really vulnerable, but those are the things that I think you need, probably need to hear that you're going to experience. And I know it sounds super cliche, but, um, don't forget to stop and smell the flowers and don't feel bad for doing it. If you are with a bunch of dudes, like literally or figuratively, if you want to stop and pick something up, if you want to admire a flower, I stop and look at cactuses and rubs and I, you know, I just, I like to feel and smell and, you know, take a photo if I want to, like, don't be afraid to soak it in and make it whatever it is, whatever's important to you. Um, I've noticed that uh, there's a, a lot, a lot of men think differently in that way, and, but it's okay. <laughs> so have fun with it and um, just never stop learning. That's the biggest thing. Yeah, no, definitely. That's awesome. And, and thank, thank you again for, for sharing, you know, all, all of your, your information and, and those ideas, especially, I, I just love hearing different perspectives um, from different people. And, and especially being again, women are a minority in the hunting industry. Like, that's just a fact of things. And I think, I think that as more women like yourself, and uh, Amanda, and um, sorry, remind me of the third, there's a, a Rihanna. third person, Rihanna, <laughs> right? <laughs> so between you three, you guys do a great job of, of putting that message out there you know, that, that women are like what you were saying, capable failures. Okay. Which it is for everyone, right? You shouldn't feel less of a person um, just because you're, you don't fill a tag or you injure an animal and you've done your due diligence with that. Um, I, I, I love that message. And, and so anyone out there listening, you know, that wants someone to connect with um, so that you can get the resources that you need, um, Jessica is an awesome way to, to figure that out. Um, she's just down to earth, uh, Texas Southern style um, person that just loves to chat about these things and, and can lead you in the right direction. Um, I just want to ask you one last question to wrap up here. Sure. What is, if you had to narrow it down to one reason why you do what you do, why, what would that one reason be? Wow. I love putting people on the spot. <laughs> One reason why I do what I do. Um, 
I think because I, I just don't want to coast through life. I want to feel like I actually lived my life. I didn't, um, I didn't, I don't want to feel like I live to work. I want to feel like I'm working to live and I live very, very fully. So, you know, when I'm on my deathbed or when it's my time to go, I want to feel like I, I truly lived it. And I set an example that, you know, there are a lot more important things to life. And sometimes it's being in the middle of nowhere away from everything that you think is important. That's awesome. I love it. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's so important. Just living your life to the fullest, like, so you have no regrets. So you don't, you know, when, when you do pass, however that may be, whether it be a mountain lion or a bear or just, you know, natural causes, uh, you can know that you did everything within the time that was given to you. Um, and, and you've lived the fullest life and you, you can, you can be done and be happy. You know, um, I, I, I love that. So, um, yeah, I'll leave the links in the description below as far as where people can find you. Um, I highly recommend following Jess in her journey as she goes through everything. And it's definitely going to get even more interesting as I, you know, follow you through your Alaska stuff. I'm super stoked for that. And I'm kind of jealous to be honest with you, but I'll be there eventually. I'll get up to Alaska at some point, at some point, but, um, yeah, you guys go follow Jess and uh, reach out to her if you have any questions. And uh, as I always say, guys, get out, live your life and love it. Definitely hope you appreciated that conversation as much as I did. Uh, for any of you young women or ladies out there uh, that are looking to have a good mentor or need to find a way to get into the outdoors, definitely reach out to Jess. I'll leave her information down below uh, that where you can reach out to her. She's very responsive and just an amazing individual that guides you in the right direction because she just wants you to, to succeed, basically. Uh, and, and that's pretty much it. Um, thanks for tuning in today for this amazing conversation. Again, I'd love to see you over at Redbeard's Fit Crew on Facebook. It's a private Facebook group where we just kind of talk about our fitness goals, share meals, recipes that we uh, enjoy, or workouts that we enjoy, or our passion for being outdoors uh, with our families, loved ones, or just by ourselves. So go check us out over there at Redbeard's Fit Crew. And uh, also, of course, go check me out on Instagram, red.beard.outdoors. And I'd love to see you over there as well. Let me know if you have any questions. Shoot me an email. Have an amazing day. And of course, get out, live your life, and love it.